Greetings in the name of Christ and welcome to Concord Matters, a show that seeks to follow Paul's words in Romans chapter 15. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We seek this harmony in Christ that we will join together with one voice through the clear and concise teachings confessed in the Book of Concord. I'm your host, Brady Finneran, District President of the Minnesota North District. Thank you for joining us on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. We continue our study in the small catechism, going back to the basics and now to the creed of the first article, speaking of God the Father as he worked in creation and as he continues to work in his creation and among his people. It's something that maybe you read in in seventh and eighth grade, something that really hits the heart of the daily walk as a Christian to realize that not only is God part of everything, but he provides everything. So let's dig in to find more about this truth and, of course, to look to Christ. Dust off that blue or maroon, Christ-filled, trusty little book for the gifts are ready ready for you. If you have any questions concerning our study of the small catechism, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org. And every day we are hearing people from around the world. After all, it is a worldwide KFUO. So tell us where you're studying from. Um, studying the Book of Concord, it can be from across the world. It can be simply from a small town in, in Minnesota or California, wherever it might be. But send us an email. Tell us how, where you're studying from and how you learned about Concord Matters. Send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org. And joining us in the Confession of Christ, we welcome Pastor Jason Bredesen of Trinity Lutheran Church in Sacramento, California. Pastor Bredesen, welcome to Concord Matters. Good morning, Pastor Finner, and thank you. I appreciate the invitation. Yeah, so first time on Concord Matters. We, you've been a guest uh, for quite a while, actually, on Thy Strong Word. Um, so tell our guest a little bit about yourself and, well, your church, but also you have a special assignment right now for our military. So give, give us the whole thing. What do you got? Certainly. Uh, Jason Bredesen, pastor of Trinity Lutheran in downtown Sacramento, California, for nearly 15 years now. Uh, just a great bunch of people in a very unique setting. Uh, love, love pastoring those people. Appreciate their uh, uh, grace and encouragement. As I uh, mentioned, as you mentioned, that I serve a, as an Air Force Reserve chaplain. And over the last several months, my assignment in the Air Force Reserve has been to be the group chaplain for the five seventeenth training group at uh, the Defense Language Institute Foreign Language Center at the Presidio of Monterey, California. So the mission of DLI, Defense Language Institute, is to train crypto-linguists. So think about mm -hmm. those languages that might be of interest to the Department of Defense and in the joint environment where we're training all of the branches to um, learn these foreign languages. Uh, it is a very unique setting, a very interesting mission, and it's been a privilege, a great privilege to be able to be here and serve these fine soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines. And we even have a few Coast Guardsmen. So um, all you Coasties out there, we're, uh, we're uh, serving us proud here at the Defense Language Institute. It's been a great privilege. I am looking forward to getting back to the uh, 
the steady pace of parish life and um, uh, just excited to be back with my family and my people uh, there at Trinity. Again, I appreciate their support and prayers and encouragement. So, you know, reminder to our listeners to pray for, well, Trinity Lutheran Church, first of all, you know, they're willing to share their pastor and service to God and country. Um, and so we pray for Trinity. Also pray for Pastor Bredesen's family as they join him in this work. And then finally, obviously, keep praying for our military men and women who serve. So, Pastor, we are in the small catechism. To you, our listeners, we'll be following the order from Luther's small catechism with explanation, which is the 2017 version. Uh, I always have to say that because from CPH, because while there's a lot of different catechisms out there, we will typically be using the reader's edition of the Lutheran confessions from Concordia um, publishing house. But we want to start with something that most people have already, which is Luther's small catechism with explanation. We're beginning at page 16, or continuing on page 16, of the Creed. We just completed our time in the Ten Commandments, which you know gives us a lot of time for uh, prohibition and prescription. And we ended our time with Pastor Ketchelmeyer, uh, Dr. Ketchelmeyer, with the close of the commandments. It just it comes down to simply this, um, who are you going to trust? Who is your God? What are your idols? Repent, believe, and trust in the Lord Jesus is, is really the message that came across. And then we get to, okay, we're realizing that we need something. We realize we need to repent. And that's where Luther and all of his wisdom said, okay, how about we get to God himself? And so that's what we're going to be confessing this morning. We are looking at the creed on page 16, and we'll confess these words, which is uh, the first article. The first article, creation. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. What does this mean? I believe that God has made me and all creatures, that he has given me my body and soul, eyes, ears, and all my members, my reason and all my senses, and still takes care of them. We're going to go piece by piece through this uh, part of the creed in the small catechism. And Pastor, it really begins uniquely. It says the first article and right below it, it says creation. Now, this is something that is obviously a hot topic. Why is it important for Luther and for us to study creation and to know what creation is? Yeah, well, you know, it, the... the um creation is so significantly important for us in our day and age. Certainly it was for Luther in the 16th century as it should have been, but I would say even more so now uh, with the advent of um, the evolutionary teaching, we, uh, we have been sidelined and marginalized in our confession, and it is so important for us to stand ever so clearly on the truth that God has created all things, uh, and he did so uh, how he desired to, and that is taught to us in the Holy Scriptures. Um, to hold fast to creation, and especially the unique and distinct human creation, is so very important, right? Um we, we look at the words of creation, and at the end of every day, God turns around and he says, Ooh, I like what I did there. 
right? He says it's good. And he gets to the end of it all and he turns around and he looks at his the wholeness of his creation and he says, this is very good. Uh, you can almost picture him patting himself on the back, right, uh, Pastor Finneran? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think, um, I think that is so important because over and against the evolutionary teaching where um, – where, you know, just by happenstance, there's this bang, and all of a sudden there's life, but it's small, it's single-celled, and over the course of millions and billions of years, it creates you, Pastor Finnern. And I think, I mean, you want to talk about something that requires a great amount of faith to hold fast to. Um, The miracle of God's creation is so... um, so abundantly clear in scripture and uh, the um, the aspect of the what we have around us today having been molded and shaped over the course of uh, so much time and um, and all by happenstance without a um, design or intent is is just really far-fetched in my mind but one of the things that I really want to reflect upon is, the, the reality, I'm not a scientist, Pastor Finner. Um, and we, I think we tend to um, try to go to battle against evolutionary teaching on a scientific battlefield. And I'm not sure that's the best route for the church to take, right? We believe, teach, and confess the Holy Scriptures. And for us to uh, handle this subject in a biblical and theological uh, confession um, aspect is really that's where our bread and butter, right? That, that's that's where we um, hold fast. So to be able to confess creation, r- recognizing that uh, God created it uniquely and distinctly, and that over and against the rest of creation, God intimately uh, formed Adam from the dust of the ground, right? Very different Mm -hmm. from the rest of creation. And as Adam was not able to find a suitable helper for him, um, God caused a great sleep to come over him, reached in, grabbed his rib, and out of that rib formed Eve. So the human creation, even over and against the rest of the unique and distinct creation, is that much more unique and distinct. And then you compare that to evolution again, which uh, which says, hey, uh, bang, then there's a single-celled organism, and then a few years later, there's Pastor Finnern. Uh, it's just a bit, to, bit much to take in and quite different from what we have uh, in the Holy Scriptures. The, uh, the teaching then not only continues from the unique and distinct creation of Adam and Eve. But then you also look at the reality of death. And in evolutionary theory, death is very much a part of the system, right? It's necessary. It it is a requirement for the entire evolutionary process to work. All you got to do is look at um, the idea of the survival of the fittest or natural selection and say, oh, yeah, that that death is definitely a big part part of what makes evolutionary theory go. 
But you and I both know and recognize that death is not good. We just witnessed the the burial of the Queen of England, and um, everyone was clothed in black, and they were grieving because they there's something deep down in us that recognizes that death just is not right at mm-hmm. all. It is a part of the broken system that was brought into the world, not by creation, not by God, but by um, the uh, the rebellion of Adam and Eve in the garden uh, as they were tempted by the serpent. And uh, I, I mean, we, we, you know, you, Pastor Finneran, have been uh, been to so many and even presided over so many funerals and the the our people, God bless them, often try to assuage themselves with uh, with comfort that really offers little comfort or hope. Uh, you know, well, they're in a better place, uh, which is, you know, for those who die in the faith, is very true. But it discounts the pain and the grief that we are left with and the recognition that death is horrible. It's just, it's nasty. And um, and so in creation, death is not a part of the system. It was brought in through the rebellion of Adam and Eve, and uh, we we are we would do well to very much recognize that uh, again over and against the evolutionary theory, which requires death to work well. Um, hmm. But then, uh, and I don't want to. Uh, step too far ahead with this, but it definitely does play into the creation aspect because we're dealing with the first article, and I know you will move on to the second article, but but with regard to creation, it is important for us to recognize that we are saved from the wretchedness of sin and death uniquely and distinctly through the incarnation of Christ, right? Right? through his life, death, and resurrection in the body, uh, and ultimately as he ascends into heaven in the body, is seated at the right hand of the Father in the body, working through the life of the church who is the body of Christ until he returns and all flesh is raised and those uh, who believe are uh, redeemed to eternal life. Um, So we are uh, saved from sin and death uniquely and distinctly, through the incarnation of Christ. And evolution does not have salvation. It we In evolutionary theory, we exist to exist, and we die to let the world carry on. And um, that simply is antithetical to what the church has always believed, taught, and confessed, and that the Holy Scriptures very clearly teach. So as we look at creation, we recognize the unique and distinct creation of humanity. And uh, we recognize that death is really a horrible enemy. Uh, you know, Corinthians calls it the last enemy to be destroyed. And, um, and that in Jesus, we are saved from sin and death in a very unique and distinct manner through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So when you ask, is creation something that we should hold fast to? Is it important for us to to um, rejoice in it and uh, find great hope and comfort in? I would say absolutely. 
<laughs> and it, 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 it connects the creed as, as Luther has laid it out is, is really a, a confession of the truth of God. I mean, that's, that's where we are moving from. You can't help but go to the Ten Commandments, the close of the commandments, and you think about yourself. And then the creed instantly points our eyes to the Lord and creation. Why is that important? Well, we look around and we realize that God's a creator of all this. It's not just happenstance. It actually happened for a reason, you know, that God has done that and he calls it good. And pastor, you said that so well for us to remind us of that, that who's in control of all this, who has created all this. And we need to take a few steps back just to give thanks, not to worship the creation, which is a natural reaction for us, but to give thanks to the creator for what he has made. And that is a, a major kind of in the midst of all the evolutionary talk, which is we don't know how it was created. There's also a major idolatry issue, because if you are going to start acting as if this creation just happened to be there, then you start worshiping the creation and forgetting the creator. And I see that quite a bit. And parts of Minnesota are just beautiful, as it is in California. So there's a lot of that going on, which then brings us right back to the first commandment. Once again, you shall have no other gods. Now, what's the big deal if I kind of get my creator and my creation mixed up? What are your What are your thoughts on that, Pastor? Well, you're exactly right. Uh, the interconnectedness of Christian teaching and confession, uh, you know, it's almost like there's a plan, right? Um but in fact, uh, your uh, successor on Thy Strong Word, he and I, a few months back, had a, a, a robust discussion on Romans chapter 1, which, uh, mm -hmm. of course, you reflect very, very faithfully that we have a tendency to worship the creation. And um, that leads to some very scary places. And uh, for our listeners today, if you want to find out what that looks like, go ahead and look at Romans 1 and 2 and um, reflect on what idolatry brings. So, Pastor, as we look at this, it, it speaks very clearly, creation, um, and that goes into universe. Somehow, God, in those seven days, uh, made everything, made absolutely everything. But Luther does not leave us with just saying, isn't that great? Look at the mountains, look at the rivers, look at all that. He starts with these words. I believe that God has made me and all creatures, and he has given me my body, my soul, eyes, ears, and all my members, my reason, and all my senses, and still takes care of them. It is, I think it's a powerful reality that he starts with you and me, because if he can create the whole world and say it's good, well, guess what? I'm included on that. Other thoughts you have in that first paragraph, which we could probably talk the whole time just on that paragraph alone. So how do you want to start? Yeah, we certainly could, couldn't we? Well, <laughs> you know, uh, here we are in 21st century America, and uh, we look back on 16th century, the German Reformation, the Lutheran Reformation, and the direction the world has taken in their thought uh, since then, the Enlightenment and, and the major shift in thinking that that brought about, uh, where the Enlightenment thinkers really uh, went from a uh, theocentric or God-centered 
worldview to a more egocentric or anthropocentric, man-centered, me-centered worldview, and kind of sidelined God, as if you could do that, right, Um, by making him a a deity uh, and, you know, kind of the clockwork understanding God creates the world like uh, like a clockmaker winds up a clock and sets it on the shelf and lets it do its thing. And yet the Holy Scriptures are, are abundantly clear that, no, God's work in his creation is far more intimate, far more lasting. And, uh, and the uh, worldview shift in the Enlightenment away from that intimacy, intimate involvement in creation uh, really really has uh, done a number on the life of the church and um, our uh, life together and our life in the communities in which God has placed us. And that's all the more reason to hold fast to this confession of creation because God does love us. He does involve himself intimately in our lives. Um, we, We see that ever so clearly in the teaching of scriptures uh, we see that in the life of the church as he comes to us in water and bread and wine and in the word and in the fellowship of the saints and uh, the promises that he gives for all of eternity. And it's very important when he points us back at ourselves that we see through the lens of faith how every part of us is a gift from the Lord. Clearly, it's broken, as you said, Pastor, from the fall. But it also is a gift. And why is that, for example, a young person today that might be receiving a lot of different messages? Of course, there's always been those messages uh, for, for young people trying to figure out their lives, let alone their bodies. But today, I think this first paragraph is even more important than ever before because of how sometimes we treat the body and how we see the body in our culture today. You want to speak to that, and especially for young people as they're trying to figure out their lives and what this means to know that God has created their body and said it was good. No shortage of confusion in our world today, is there? Uh, the the broken bodies and broken minds uh, among us uh, really lead down some very difficult and tragic uh, directions where uh, with a right understanding of God's work in creation can lead to uh, a great amount of health and wholeness and healing and away from the uh, the sexual orientation and gender identity concerns that uh, that are so prevalent in our society today. Uh, very, very difficult conversations and much love and pa- pastoral care and patience is needed from our pastors, from our congregations as we continue to be faithful to who God has called us to be in confession and yet uh, very pastoral in our approach, uh, lovingly caring for the people in need. The, 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 we've spoken about this throughout the Ten Commandments, that when it says, as the head of the family should teach in a simple way to his household, the opportunity for you, our listeners, as a parent or grandparent, or as a neighbor or a member of a congregation, I think this passage could be used or this part of the small catechism can be used all the time 
you know, for example, I know pastor, you have, you have children. I have teenage children that I'm thinking that tonight I should take the small catechism out and read this to my kids and talk about, you know what? Every part of you is a gift from the Lord. And just to use that, that language, I think would be, how do you say it? You're filling them with a lot of grace when the world fills, fills you with a lot of questions or insecurities that this, even if they don't want to believe it, like, well, dad, I don't like my ears. Like, okay, well, okay, that's, that's fine. There's still a gift from the Lord, or I don't like my longer or shorter legs or whatever it might be. That that's a, that's a message that we all need to hear. Any encouragement you have, Pastor, for a parent or grandparent or even like an older sibling or something that, that wants to fill their loved ones with, with, with this truth? Any, any encouragement for them? I, I echo your words. They're very good, um, very, very much truth. Uh, that you spoke, I yeah the the gift that God gives in who He has made us to be is a very beautiful thing, and um, and is yeah this is a great opportunity to teach the faith to our young people who are in a very confused world in which they live and um, need that comfort. Pastor, with about a minute left, it says at the end of that paragraph, and still takes care of them. That, that's an interesting uh, addition where he could have easily stopped before that. But why is it important where it says still takes care of them? What, <laughs> what kind of confusion could be created if you don't add those words? Well, you know, the, the understanding of the deist uh, movement in the Enlightenment could be gone back to where, you know, the, the Enlightenment thinkers talk about God where he winds up the clock, puts it on the shelf, and lets it be. But the intimate, ongoing care of the Holy Father on our behalf is uh, is abundant for us. I think in our wealth and health world, we have a tendency to get um, confused about that or sidetracked with it because we can rely on things other than our Heavenly Father. We, we, have, we have unprecedented wealth and we have unprecedented uh, health care. And those two things really can uh, cause us to put our faith and trust in something other than our Heavenly Father. And this is where, yeah, I love it because we can com- compartmentalize God where, okay, he starts and God, I have it from here. Hmm. Which sounds good as Americans, but boy, what a disaster in my life, at least, that if, if, if I would have taken over, well, it would have been even worse <laughs> than it already was. And that's such a, a strength for me going back to when Jesus, uh, the end of Matthew, behold, I'm with you to the very end of the age. And it doesn't mean he's just kind of sitting there watching us, is he's t- taking care of us, our body, our soul, and all that we have. And because of his love for each one of us. But right now, Pastor, we need to jump on that a little more after our break. We are studying the first article of the Creed in Luther's Small Catechism with Pastor Jason Bredesen, and we'll be right back. Hello, friends. I'm Pastor Phil Boo, host of Thy Strong Word. Each weekday morning at 11 a.m., join me and a guest pastor as we explore God's Word, which strengthens our faith and guides our lives. You can listen over the air, online at kfuo.org, or through your favorite podcasting app. Just search for Thy Strong Word 
only from KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. And welcome back. We are studying the first article of the Creed in Luther's small catechism with Pastor Jason Bredesen of Trinity Lutheran Church in Sacramento, California. Now, Pastor, I'm going to take a step back because we're in the Creed, the specifically the Apostles' Creed. And what's fascinating about this is that um, it's, it's not in the Bible. It doesn't uh, come from Deuteronomy chapter 7 or something. And it says, okay, and here's the Apostles' Creed. They're, they're for what it is. And someone could say, well, if it's not in the Bible, then why why do we confess it? Why do we dig into this? And what would your words be to them about, well, for example, that this creed really was first written or known around the fourth century. I read something that said 390. We're not exactly sure. And it was kind of something that was not like written down in stone, literally. Um, even what we see today, probably till the 16th century around Luther's time. So why would we think the creed is important for us to study as we look at the basics of the faith? Great question, and I'm glad you brought it up. I, I have a bit of a unique background. I was raised in the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, and from uh, having been taught by a, a volunteer youth leader during my teenage years, who taught more along the lines of Baptistic theology. I, I was questioning um, the ELCA's stance on scripture and, and very appropriately so, and uh, was questioning the validity of the sacraments. Like a lot of teenagers, I was bored with the liturgy. So I left Lutheranism and got my biblical studies degree at Simpson University, <clears throat> which is affiliated with the American Evangelical Holiness Denomination the Christian and Missionary Alliance, and was really preparing for ministry in the American evangelical, kind of the big box, non-denominational world, uh, where the creed of no creed but scripture is prevalent. Wow. Uh, and it wasn't until I took a class on Luther and his teaching in my final semester at Simpson that uh, that I recognized that, no, I'm Lutheran, and justification is very real and matters, and the sacraments are very clearly connected to that. Um, that brought me back into Lutheranism and into the Missouri Synod. But uh, all that's to say that the creeds, while not word for word in Scripture, certainly the teaching is, right? If if you can look at the Trinitarian nature of this creed and recognize God's uh, work in creation, God's work in redemption through Jesus, and God's work in and through the life of the church, through the work of the Holy Spirit, uh, why can't you confess it? Why, why can't we recognize the teaching of the scriptures in the midst of these uh, three short paragraphs? I think... Um, I think they essentially serve almost as a, a great summary of the entire teaching of all of the scriptures, right? If someone comes up to you, Pastor Fennern, and says, hey, what do you believe? Mm. Um, you're not going to sit down and read the entire 2,000 some odd pages of scripture. Uh, <laughs> you're going you're gonna to tell them, well, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and, uh, and then go through and, and confess the creed. It's, it's just a, a great summary 
of um, the entire script, uh, big rocks of the scriptural teaching. And, and to piggyback on, on that is it's a great witnessing tool. So if you're trying to think, how can I explain the faith to somebody? How could you not use the creed? And you don't have to quote the whole thing. That doesn't necessarily work. But you're able to say something like, I believe in God, the Father, Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth. And without necessarily saying those exact words, you can start with that argument. I believe that there's a God that created everything. And that this God, as we know to be Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, created me, created everything, and still is taking care of his creation. Boom. End of story. I mean, you've got the creed. And how helpful is that? Because you say it so often. It's just on our lips all the time. It reminds us of that. And so this is why, like how you said, no creed but the Bible. That is true in one sense. But also, we need summaries Hmm. in our lives all over the place partly to confess the truth, but partly to keep us from saying words that aren't true, you know? Um, so I think it's a great witnessing too as well that has been a gift to the church, not straight out of scripture, but sure confesses the truth of scripture very well. Other thoughts on that, Pastor? Yeah, you know, when I first got to Trinity, uh, I had a member who sat on the board of a local social service organization and a Muslim school in Sacramento approached the social service agency and said, hey, we're teaching our uh, young people the various world religions, and we want them to be taught by uh, the specific faiths. Uh, Do you know of anyone, uh, any Christian pastors who would be able to do this for us? So my member was approached by the, the head of the organization and he approached me and I'm like, yes, let's do this. And so um, we have a very beautiful and traditional sanctuary at Trinity. And I had a, a class full of Muslim youth and their teachers sitting in the sanctuary. And I got to teach them uh, the the um, Apostles' Creed from the small catechism. Oh, and we God. had a robust and just great, beautiful conversation for nearly two hours about who God is, how he functions, and what he does uh, for us in the world. And, um, you know, justice is a very significant thing for the Muslim faith. Uh, And uh, as I was teaching on the second commandment, uh, the the, uh, mercy that Jesus shows us, I was... um, I was questioned on that by one of the female teachers, uh, and she uh, she said, "Well, so what you're telling me is that God became a human being and died for the sin that you committed." I said, "Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying." And she said, "Well, that's not fair." I said, "No, it's <laughs> not. It's mercy." And she came back and said, "So you're telling me." God is human and died for you and rose again. I said, yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. And she said, that's not right. I said, no, no, it's not. It's mercy. And she came back a third time and she said, this is, a, this is what you're saying. And I said, absolutely. I have to stand on, on the scriptures. And um, she said, that is not just. I said, no, it's not. It's mercy. 
uh, and mm. and uh, so you you know you mentioned that the the creed, uh, the teaching in all of the catechism can be used in a evangelistic manner. Um, there you have it. I had the great opportunity to um, sow the seed of the Word of God in a very clear and succinct way to those who may very well have never heard the gospel before and who may never hear it again. But as we trust that the Holy Spirit is at work in the word and as he hears our prayers, who knows, maybe someday that teacher or someone else in the class may, uh, you know, be in despair under the work of the law and uh, remember hearing having that seed of the gospel planted in their heart and in their mind and by God's grace come to faith in Jesus. Uh, that's my, uh, my fervent prayer. And that's, that's good language for us to be able to speak clearly that what do most people when they seek Jesus in the new Testament, what do they say to him? They don't say, give me justice. Hmm. They say, Lord, have mercy. And that's because this isn't an equality situation. This is not a situation of, of that. It is a merciful God who, who gives something we don't deserve and receives nothing in return. Um, that, that is, that is God. That's, that's our body. Our body is a mercy event for, for the Lord that he still takes care of us is pure mercy. And so I think that's a, a, a very prominent, part of our theology that we speak about often we speak mercy as opposed to justice and probably for this purpose is because it's not just what happened because he took everything and gave us everything yeah you know um and that is a pastor that is a great reminder for you our listeners to think about christianity the truth of christianity being founded and grounded in that mercy that our Lord gives to us. Now, Pastor, I want to talk more about that, but we need to move forward. Um, <laughs> so we've talked about the body, and I think this is good for us when we get to the second article, that our bodies are redeemed by the body of our Lord, which we could talk about more also. But just a reminder, not only has he created this body, but he has redeemed this body forgiven this body and continues to take care of it. Now we talk about, okay, what surrounds us? What else does he give me? Second paragraph. He also gives me clothing and shoes, food and drink, house and home, wife and children, land, animals, and all that I have. He richly and daily provides me with all that I need to support this body in life. In a good way, Pastor, this is Thanksgiving. I mean, this is, as a country, we celebrate and we give thanks on Thanksgiving as Christians. We will give thanks to the Lord for these things because we realize it is all a gift from him. This is an interesting uh, continuation in this in this article. How do you want to start um, um, expounding this? Yeah, well, so, um, I mean, it's all there. He does take care of us. There's, there's nothing that's left out of the list. And uh, again, you know, the wealth that God has given to our nation and to each of us individually, even the poorest among us is wealthy uh, over the standards of the, the rest of the world. And, um, and he has provided for our nation and the people of our nation very historically in uh, very 
concrete and real ways, even as we see the the stock market uh, continuing to struggle and inflation continuing to rise, we're still in a lot better shape than most people around the world. Uh, and um, I think that's, you know, as we reflected earlier in our conversation, it's easy for us to forget that, that, that God is the giver of all good things. Um, and uh, he does, he loves us and cares for us very clearly in the ways that he has promised. Uh, but it's important for us to remember the source of that uh, and to thank God for it, not to take it for granted or lightly. And it's, it's very difficult, I would say, this portion of the article, of the first article, because I easily can look at something. For example, my dad makes maple syrup. And, uh, you know, I help him once or twice a year, so I'm part of it, quote unquote. But he does almost all the work, my mom and him. And, and it can easily be this. He owns a tree. He puts a tap in the tree. Sap comes out. He's the one that carries it from point A to point B. He takes it and he gets all of that ready, gets a cooker ready, gets the wood ready, gets all of that, puts it together, makes sure that it gets, you know, to a certain temperature, make sure it gets bottled. By the time it gets to your by the time it gets to your waffles, I have done the work. Why is that a misunderstanding? Of because we can easily just see, well, I did all the work. What's the big deal? By the way, my dad would never do that. He knows it's all a gift from the Lord, but it is something that we naturally just run to. You know what? God didn't do anything. I'm the one who did all the work. Why is that misunderstanding? Well, Pastor Fenner, did you get out of bed today? Uh, uh, well, I might, some people might question whether I woke up or not, but yes, I did. <laughs> well, the only reason you uh, got up out of bed and were able to make your morning coffee and enjoy your waffles is because God let you. Uh, in his great mercy, he let you open your eyes and continue to draw your breath and uh, live out your days. So, uh, yeah, we we can easily get sidetracked on our uh, own abilities uh, to to function in this world and to succeed in this world. But God lets you breathe. <laughs> and it's only his great mercy that he does. And this is where another um, question comes up. And this, you know, we're almost always confirmation students where I remember almost not every year, but a lot of years we go through this first article and then someone says what about those who don't have anything how can we say that he daily and richly provides me with all that i need when some people simply don't have it what would you say to that young person or to all of our listeners as that question pops in our mind what a great opportunity to talk about uh that god works through means right principally the means of grace the the manner in which the gospel comes to us, uh, baptism, Lord's Supper, the preached word, confession and absolution, and the, uh, the mutual conversation and consolation of the brethren or the fellowship of the saints. Uh, but he works through means beyond just the very clear means of grace, right? Um, you have a vehicle that gets you from place to place, and God uses vehicles to do his work in the world. And one of the main ways that he does that is uh, in the wealth that he has given to us here in America, in 21st century America, 
he has also asked us to be responsible with it and to not hoard it for ourselves, but to care for the creation all around us, uh, to uh, share out of the abundance that we've been given to help take care of those in need. Um, you know, being it, at Trinity, a downtown congregation uh, in a urban center in California, um, we have no shortage of uh, homeless in our neighborhood, and often they end up uh, sleeping on the porticos of our church. Now, when I got to Trinity 15 years ago, it became very clear to me very quickly that uh, we could get distracted by this, uh, the great need all around us, and um, begin to function more as a social service agency rather than a church. And, and we are called to be the church, to proclaim the gospel and to pray for the needs of the community uh, both the church community and the, the civil community around us. Uh, and it, it, from my perspective as pastor of a downtown urban congregation, it really uh, is important for us to remember that what the community needs from us is to pray and confess and to preach. Uh, and then to do our work in the community through the social service agencies that already exist and that God has provided to do that work. Um, and of course, there's a great global need as well. And um, when we talk about global missions in my congregation, I'm very quick to say that, you know, most of us are not going to be packing our bags and going to um, India or Africa or uh, parts of Asia and Latin America to share the gospel. But what we do have is a great abundance of wealth in our country. And uh, the, the sacrifices that we can make are to open our wallets and our purses and give out of our abundance for the sake of the ongoing need throughout the world and the, the care that God has promised to each person individually, uh, but working through the means that he has given to us. And that's, well, once again, gets back to mercy as opposed to looking around the world and going, well, that's not just, that's not just, I'm going to fix it. It's us saying, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner, and then saying, how can I then be merciful? Because that's what he works through. He works through yeah. people. He works through those gifts in order to be given and given that mercy to others. And that's hard work, which is why we pray once again, Lord, have mercy. Now, Pastor, we have to keep moving here relatively quickly because well, there's a lot here. The next paragraph or sentence really is, is a very important piece for us to remember in our world today as well. He defends me against all danger and guards and protects me from all evil. This is, this is a, um, a humbling reality because you have those moments where, you know, your, your life flashes before your eyes. Um, we often will say, oh, wow, that was amazing. I can't believe that happened. And we will not think it was God. Or the same time that we see all this evil surrounding us, um, watching the news and so forth, and that we kind of think that maybe God is not mm, at work any further. But here he speaks the truth, that God is always protecting us and defending us. Pastor, how is this true? I would say it's true in an 
uh, in the ultimate sense of uh, the eternal life given to us in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That that is ultimately the the fullness of the protection and defense that he gives to us. There's a penultimate sense, and you know, we just are coming out of a global pandemic called COVID-19. If Unless you've been asleep for the past two and a half years, you probably <laughs> recognize that uh, the world is, is a weird place. And um, a lot of people have wrestled with this question of, uh, of what about uh, what we've just experienced? Is God still protecting and defending us? The answer is yes. And again, um, we look at the means that God has provided us uh, to defend us against uh, these uh, things um, in the first article sense. And we were talking about this in our Bible class a few weeks ago, and uh, I was giving the the ultimate protection, right? Uh, we know that God promises us physical healing. And I made the illustration, hey, what if I walked out of the, the front door of the church here and I tripped and fell and broke my arm? And God came and miraculously healed that broken arm. And it was, it was done. It was taken care of. No pain, no lasting effects, no need to visit the doctor. That would be a great miracle, wouldn't it? Yes. Yes, it would. <laughs> and, and then what if I stepped out into the street and got hit by a bus and died? At the very next minute, right? And so is God not protecting me as he just healed my arm in a miraculous way, but didn't uh, perceive, we don't perceive his protection as I got run down by a bus. But but that's where that ultimate sense of protection comes in, right? I I may my earthly life may have ended tragically, uh, but I am now the the had the full recipient of the eternal life granted to me in my baptism. The promise is given there through Jesus. And that's where the promise of him defending us extends into what we often will call the now and not yet. That now he is definitely defending us, but the not yet is that final resurrection where there will be no more evil and there be no more danger and the protection will not be needed in the way that we need it now. And it will all be in his hands in perfection. And so that's a that's a that's another maybe frustrating point of Christianity is that we don't promise the utopia here. We don't promise heaven on earth in the sense of perfection. And, and, and Jesus never does either. I mean, the Lord never does. Um, but he does promise that it will be there one day. And that's a hard part because that means I have to wait. And that means that mercy will always need to be extended. Pastor, I would say maybe just a minute or two. you have any other thoughts on that? I, no, I, I think uh, I think it's all there. You know, it's, it's the <laughs> ultimate sense of protection and eternal life. When God wipes all tears and death is no longer a reality, uh, he takes care of us. How can how can you look at that and say, yeah, he's not protecting and defending me? <laughs> right, right. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. So I wanted to make sure we got to this ending point because we can hear all these good gifts from our Lord. And then the question is, much like this Muslim woman asks you, why would he do that? That's not, that doesn't even, that that's not fair. That's not just. And why would he do it? And I think this is the answer. All this he does out of fatherly divine goodness and mercy without any merit or worthiness in me. For all that is in, for all this, 
For all this, excuse me, it is my duty to thank and praise, serve and obey him. This is most certainly true. Pastor, I want to end, I want to I begin with the end, that the beauty of what Luther writes is that he writes, this is most certainly true. Just because a lot of times people will kind of, I'm not sure if that's true. I don't know if that's true or not. But as this reflects and professes what the scripture says, we're able to hang our hat on it. And why does the Lord do all of this for us, his sinful people? Pastor Finner, and I think uh, I'm probably not alone when I say I became a much better Christian and a far better pastor when I had my own children. Uh, and recognized my duty as the father, looking at the the fruit of the relationship with their mother, my wife, and uh, and really the uh, the love that I have for my children, the desire that I have for them to grow and to mature in life and in faith, and to be good little Bredesens, right and. Uh, mm. And it, it just has made me that much better is probably not the right word, but I, I have learned to, to the extent that I'm able, the love of a father. And I can't even come close to, to reflecting the love that our heavenly father has for us that yielded his own son um, for our for our benefit, um, I don't, it, it leaves me speechless, Pastor Finner, and I, I have no words except to say thank you, God. Thank you, Father. And that's why it doesn't say, and therefore you must go into the monastery and, <laughs> and give up everything in your life. It simply says, give thanks mm -hmm. to serve and obey and to love and, 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 and to give mercy as our Lord is merciful to us. I heard this from a pastor and I think it relates once again, is it says that he said to me once that the older I get, the more I realize the depth of God's love for me. Um, obviously we would put divine goodness and mercy into that realm. And then he said, the older I get, I also realize how much I don't deserve it. Mm -hmm. And that is captured, I think, beautifully in the first article. And it always is in the, the filter of the second article, that, that the second article makes the first article even more sweet, even more fruitful as we look upon the power and grace of our Lord, our triune God for us as sinners. Now, Pastor, we have about a minute left of our time. So how do you want to summarize the first article and encourage our listeners in Christ? Yeah, um, getting back to creation and evolution, uh, I used to say to my daughter, Ellie, when she was younger, hey, Ellie, you're a monkey. And being the good <laughs> theologian that she is, she said, no, I'm not, Daddy, I'm a kid. And uh, <laughs> what a beautiful confession. And uh, as God has given me the privilege to father them and to uh, live out my life in this beautiful creation of God, albeit very broken, uh, I am grateful for his care for me, his love for me, and the ability to recognize that uh, that, that doesn't end uh, ever. Pastor Jason Bredesen of Trinity Lutheran Church in Sacramento, California, clearly confessing Christ and the gifts of God from the first article of the Creed. Pastor Jason, pa <laughs> Pastor Bredesen, excuse me, thank you for being our guest. Thank you, Pastor Fenner. 
I'm your host, Pastor Brady Finner. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hand.